0: covering all aspects of milwaukee brewers baseball it's time for brewers extra innings the podcast here is your host matt Pauley.
1: it is time for brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile my name is matt Pauley. it is great to have you with us we are finally able to talk baseball as pitchers and catchers have reported a number of position players reporting as well the uh, position player report date, depending on when you're listening. They may have already reported as uh, this podcast is dropping early the morning of Monday, February 17th. Position players are reporting on Monday and the first full squad workout is coming up on Tuesday. And before we do our next podcast, there's going to be some spring training games in the books as well. So, Uh, It is moving very, very quickly, and we've got a lot to get to on this week's podcast. Our housekeeping items at the top of the program, a special hello to the people who are listening to this podcast as part of Doug Russell's Pod Center on 540 ESPN. If you don't know what this is or if you uh, enjoy it, you found us, uh, maybe you can't listen all the time uh, during those prescribed hours. We are a uh, a conventional, standard, normal podcast that you can get on all the uh, major podcasts platforms including apple podcast and stitcher you can also find us at wtmj.com under the uh, podcast section uh, also if you want to get in contact with me twitter is the best way to do that find me on twitter at matt Pawley on air we're going to get into a lot of the storylines from the first week of spring training here in a moment when we get to our headlines of the week but i want to touch on one thing in the early going and it's related to two individuals who this time last year there were very high expectations of. Uh, They did not meet those expectations. Some roles were even changed. And here we are a year later with not as high of expectations, but for me, two individuals that could have a very big role in the Brewers being a better team than I think a lot of people are expecting them to be. And it's two players who started out last season in the starting rotation, and it didn't work out for either one of them. And Freddie Peralta and also uh, Corbin Burns. The news this week from both of them is interesting. So now Peralta, he kind of found a home in the bullpen, and because of the limited pitches that he throws – it seemed like he fit well in the bullpen. There were some consistency issues with him. I've always said Freddie Peralta's best might be better than anybody else's best on the team. The problem is, how often can you get that? And it seemed to be something where you weren't getting it often enough. Well, uh, he did play winter ball, and he's been working the slider more and more, and it's kind of clicked quickly for him according to all reports and that changes who he is. If you've listened to this podcast, if you listen to me on anything, I've talked about Freddy Peralta being better suited for the bullpen. That may still end up being true. He may end up being a bullpen guy. He may be more valuable as a bullpen guy. If if other starters do what the Brewers would like them to do, it might make more sense to put Peralta in the bullpen because the bullpen is a bit more of a question mark. But the idea of Peralta having this slider and being able to work that into his repertoire and do everything else he's done, I think that's relatively exciting and it's going to be fun to see what happens with him. The other player is Corbin Burns. And a lot of people out there have given up on Burns. And I get it. His his season last year was not good. I maybe i'm more forgiving than most i don't know i just know the development process in baseball is nowhere near being a straight line and there's it's a roller coasters there's ups and downs there's two steps forward to take a step back and then two steps back trying to take that one step forward like it is a process and guys have lost years it happens it happens a lot in the minor leagues i i'm holding out I hope, I mean, I'm I'm exploring the possibility, I'm presenting the possibility that what we saw last year with Corbin Burns was not who he is, but a lost year. A year where it just didn't work. And if that would have happened at AAA, if it would have happened in the minor leagues, we could view it as a lost year. We kind of view it the way we view Corey Ray right now, where you still feel like he's going to get things going. Maybe even the way we view Zach Brown, but it almost feels like with Zach Brown, a lot of people feel like there was more substance to the step back. And I I feel the exact same way about Zach Brown as a player. You don't just lose what you have or who you are when you're a highly regarded prospect, right? So when you have that bad year, when you take a step back, yeah, Craig, I've heard Craig Council say it multiple times before season starts. Look, there's going to be guys who don't play as well as you expect, have a really tough year. And there's going to be guys who kind of come out of nowhere and just have a great year and have a career year, and that happens every year. And Corbin Burns had a miserable season last year. I am not trying to sugarcoat what happened with Burns last year. 32 appearances with the Brewers, 1-5 in record, 8.82 ERA. He went to AAA. He wasn't any better. So we're not sugarcoating what happened last year with Corbin Burns. But the way he has responded to it and something that's in place with the organization is going to make this a really interesting case moving forward. And it also kind of I think we're going to start to understand maybe the impact of something in the organization. That's when they redid the spring training complex. They basically created a pitching lab. We've talked about the lab before. We don't have a lot of information about it. It's uh, They're relatively quiet about it. We don't know what's going on in there. But it, it, they use advanced technology to really help pitchers become their best self. And not only did Burns go there towards the end of the season last year, he basically spent the entire offseason there. He I think he had like a week or so for, uh, for him uh, to get a little vacation or something in. But outside of that, he has spent uh, the offseason working in that lab and trying to rediscover who he was prior to this past season. He talked a little bit about it this past week and the big takeaway from it was the the slider and the fastball were looking too too similar. Yeah, you, know, you you want your pitches to work off the other pitches and that wasn't happening. He was the, the pitches were too similar and he was getting shelled. So being able to bring some uniqueness to the slider, being able to bring some uniqueness uh, to the fastball, go from there, is a really important part. So look, there's no guarantee that Burns is going to bounce back, but I I think we should all be open to the idea that there's a chance that he will. And if Burns has that bounce back, if Freddie Peralta is able to add that pitch, that's that those are a couple guys, whether they're starters or whether they're in the bullpen, it just creates more options for the organization, and I think it could be a really good thing for this team if it all works out. Uh, this is there's a lot of gambles, there's a lot of unknowns. This is a a season of unknowns going in, and this is this is one of the biggest tests that we're going to have of General Manager David Stearns. Stearns has had some. You know, maybe maybe not guys before. Some have worked. There have been some guys out there that that have not worked for this team. He he's not batting a thousand, but he's got a pretty solid batting average in the moves that he has made. But the the guys that you don't have a pretty good idea of what you're going to get out of them, and you really want them to perform in a big way, there's more of those kind of guys this year than there are in previous years, and we're going to find out just how good uh, David Stearns is, I guess. Look, if all these guys or most of these guys really perform well, man, that just says a lot about him. And I already have, I think he's one of the best general managers in baseball. But he is... He has put himself in a position now where the spotlight is on him if guys do not perform to a level that the organization is hoping that they're able to perform to. All right, uh, on the podcast this week, our featured guest is going to be with another podcast host, Ben Larson. We're getting him back on. It's been a little while. Probably should have had him back on sooner, but uh, he uh, he's back on. He is the host of the Locked on Brewers podcast. He's going to be with us in just a few minutes, but let's get to this week's headlines of the week
0: it doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter there's always news about the brewers let's look back at the week that was with matt's headlines of the week that's
1: right, So i talked about in the opening segment was uh, certainly a couple of the headlines and uh, corbin burns talking about what he wants to uh, really do and what he how he spent the offseason also freddie peralta coming in with that new pitch other notes from uh, this past week lorenzo cain found out that he has completely changed his diet He is eating much, 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 much more healthy. Uh, He's been a guy who's eating a lot of ice cream and cake, he said, in the past. Uh, Not doing that with the way that his body uh, maybe not broke down, but certainly did not have the type of health this past year that he would have liked. Uh, He has gone to a much healthier diet as he gets a little bit older. Uh, Cut about 12 pounds over the winter, uh, trying to uh, limit the stress on his lower body. So we'll see how that ends up working out. Arbitration uh, this past week, one player goes to it and loses. Josh Hader loses his arbitration battle with the club. Uh, he had filed for $6.4 million. The team filed for four point one. He's going to make $4.1 million. I was a little bit surprised when I first heard this, and then the more I thought about it, the more it kind of made sense to me. The arbitration process it really rewards when it comes to relief pitchers. Uh, the stat that they really look at is saves, and while Hader does have a fair share of saves, that's not specifically how he's been used, you know, over the course of his entire career with the Brewers. Uh, he even talked about it afterwards that the system was somewhat broken. It's not, it's not good in the way relief pitchers are being evaluated. Craig Council backed him up on that. I think he's right. Relief pitchers are being used differently. Saves don't mean as much. If you go get seven outs, seven really tough outs, but somebody comes in and gets that 27th out and they get the save, that doesn't mean they had a better day than you did. But what it might mean is they've got more of a case for a raise in arbitration than you do. It doesn't make much sense. I don't. I hate the arbitration process all the way around. We'll talk more about that later on in the podcast. I hope at some point, uh, I would. I would hope maybe that's something the players deal with from a collective bargaining standpoint. There's a lot of issues right now between players and owners. So maybe it just kind of stays the same because that's not that's not one of the most pressing issues at the moment. But I, I hate the arbitration system. I just don't like it at all. Again, more about that later on in the podcast. Uh Brent Suter and the Brewers do agree on a two-year contract, so they avoid going to arbitration per Adam McCalvey of MLB and Brewers dot com. Uh, what's going to uh, happen is he's going to get a two-year deal guaranteed at $2.5 million. Now, he had filed for one and million million for this upcoming season. So when you take the annual average value of the contract, he's getting his $1.25 this year, although it's going to be more back-loaded. Uh, but the team had countered at $825,000. And again, teams' uh, ownership and teams have been very successful in arbitration hearings uh, this year. So again, according to uh, McAlvey's sources, $2.5 million. is going to get a $100,000 signing bonus. He'll get a salary of $900,000 this year. So basically he gets a $1 million this year. And then in 2020, he gets $1.5 million. The 2021 salary would increase by $50,000 uh, for uh, pitches of... Uh, 80 innings, 100 innings, 120 innings, 140 innings, 160 innings. Every time he hits one of those plateaus in this upcoming season, the 2021 salary would build by $50,000 on each of those uh, cases. So that's how that's going to uh, work out. Corey Knebel is uh, the one player who is under restrictions at this point as he continues to uh, come back from Tommy John's surgery. He is throwing off the mound a little bit, so that is good news. Uh, he's not going to break camp with the team, but shortly after the team does break camp, he should be able to uh, appear in some games at the minor league level and uh, continues to look at uh, a timeline where he could be back with the club maybe the first week of May, so miss a little bit more than a month to start the season. That's not the worst uh, possible season. Luis Urias uh, speaking this past week did not eliminate the possibility of him being ready for opening day. That sounded like something that would be impossible when he first uh, had the injury and the surgery. I don't think he's going to be on the opening day roster, but the fact that he can talk about that, that's probably a good thing. That means he's probably uh, maybe able to be further along than we thought he would be initially. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week.
0: After every Brewer's game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now
1: brewers extra innings the podcast is powered by wtmj mobile we're very happy to welcome back onto the podcast he is the host of the locked on brewers podcast follow them on twitter at locked on brewers he is uh ben larson
2: ben really appreciate uh, you taking some time how are you i'm doing great uh <laughs> every year it's hard to believe that uh, they're playing baseball in arizona when i what what day was it last week i can't remember it all blends together but i spent a lot of time shoveling yeah it's <laughs> been so. it's been cold in wisconsin right yeah yeah exactly hey um
1: for somebody like you know i do a weekly podcast and there are weeks where there's not a whole lot to talk about uh, during the season you're pretty much every day you haven't been quite as much every day during the offseason but you're still doing multiple podcasts a week how how nice is it now that the team is back and, and pitchers and catchers have reported you actually have more content to talk about on an everyday basis
2: yeah there's there's players talking there's uh, coaches talking there's you know things happening uh, and going to be more and more now of course every day it's gonna be great uh it's it is you know it's certainly a challenge when when you're in the ultra slow times and uh and you've got to kind of come up with some stuff and and come up with some different angles and still hopefully uh, do enough to to be intriguing enough so people want to listen. So this will be great. I'm excited to to get back to it and and, uh, certainly missed it. You know through the offseason that having that, that you know some solid content to discuss uh, every day
1: all right there's been a lot of stuff that's happened and we'll go through a bunch of it but let's start with kind of the what you view as the biggest thing so there's been a number of kind of storylines that have come out since pitchers and catchers reported uh last week is there any one storyline one narrative that's really uh, caught your eye here in the early going
2: well obviously Christian in the slam dunk contest I mean uh no, I'm kidding. Uh, that was fun to see him the other night, though. Um, no, I think, uh, you know, I, I just thought um, sort of seeing the, uh, the storyline around the shortstop. I know that's sort of a little older one. But with, uh, with Urias and, you know, will this be a chance for Orlando Garcia to, to once again, you know, get an opportunity to, to have a great spring and, and catapult himself into getting the first real shot here? Or are the Brewers, you know, kind of right? I mean, you can see what the organization is doing here. They're saying, even though they, you know, signed Arcea to uh, arbitration, or to, to avoid arbitration, but to a one-year deal, um, you know, they're really kind of trying to angle toward making Urias their starting shortstop, I feel like. And so, you know, now that he's not going to be there all spring, what does that result? Or even if, on the other flip side of things, if Arcea struggles a lot, uh, do they go into opening day and try other other guys at shortstop, and which would be a real slap in the face to the chances for Arcia here, who's probably, you know, certainly with the Brewers, this is the year, right? He's got to show or else uh, he'll, he'll probably get more opportunities elsewhere. But, but this really is it. He's got to sort of show his potential and, and have it come through this year.
1: It really is interesting because it seems like every year – they've had to challenge him in a way a couple years yeah. sending him to triple a then this past year you know pretty much giving other guys opportunities at shortstop and now going into this year literally bringing in another player and trading for him and i got to think from an organizational standpoint, there's some frustration that goes along with that because, to Arcia's credit, he generally seems to answer the challenge. But from the organization standpoint, at some point you want to have a guy that you don't feel like you have to put challenges in front of to get them to uh, to be their best self.
2: Well, no question. I mean, I think the real frustrating thing is you always – you get the sense, even when he had the, the two seventy seven batting average a couple of years ago where you thought where – you know, I didn't really think he was that good uh, offensively. I thought that was probably an outlier. Uh, but I always thought, I never thought we'd be sitting here and. And having the club be frustrated with his defense mm-hmm. uh, because he was so spectacular. I mean, he was, for me, he was a guy that was worth the price of admission just watching him play shortstop in 2017. I mean, he, he would make spectacular plays multiple times a week, and and that, and also be consistent. And, and that has just gone away, and you wonder why. Because there's no excuse for his defense faltering. You should at least be able to count on that. And I know they still do. He still anchors a lot of what they do with shifting and all that stuff, but you know for the organization to come out and basically you know both sort of signal and then also say out loud sometimes that you know this is you know we're we're bringing in another shortstop and there's a reason why i mean you know that's that's a big big step uh, and and it's a tough one i think for RC so He's got an opportunity again. You know the baseball gods, I guess you could say, have smiled upon him to, to have him, you know, have a spring training where he's got a chance to to shine and at least make the decision a tough one for the Brewers. So I'm interested in that one. We'll see what happens.
1: And the other side of that also is, let's say he really does perform well you look at third base and you say there's a position that's also wide open so even if you yeah. have to put uh you know O'Rias over there at third a little bit that that that's an option if Arcia goes i think that, that that's probably a best case scenario because you're not going to if you can get Orlando Arcia to be his best self consistently over a 162 game season and you can just put him at shortstop and be good with that all of a sudden you got an extra guy that's that, that's a good problem to have especially when you're not really locked down at third base
2: yeah, boy, I tell you that is you know that if that happens, I've called this on the podcast uh, on on lockdown Brewers. I've called this year definitely the biggest what if year ever because you look at every position and you're going what if what if what if and there's another what if that I hadn't even thought about to be honest with you, Matt. If, if that were to happen and and you could plug in at least significant playing time at third base for Irius, that'd be very interesting because I'm just I, I continue to be that that the biggest perplexing thing to me in the off season is. The Brewers in third base. Yeah, I, I just don't feel like they filled that. The second biggest one is probably Junior Guerra. That's the one move I really can't quite justify because I thought they could have got him for, you know, not that much money, and I thought he was real solid in the bullpen. But I don't know. I mean, I'm sure smart analytics people will disagree with me. I just didn't quite get it. But third base, boy, I'll tell you, the fact they haven't really, you know, made a significant move to fill that hole. It, it just that, to me, at least. I know I'm frustrated. Everybody's frustrated that the Brewers haven't spent the kind of money you thought they might in the offseason. In fact, of course, they've cut salary by 20. percent But I just not. I could see where they filled in some holes, and and it was you know they were shrewd moves if you if you just take them in a vacuum with what you know Stearns and company are doing. But they just haven't they haven't done it in third base. I'm just I'm surprised and disappointed so far. Right? And you know we'll see lots of lots of moving parts. We'll see what happens.
1: I think you would agree with what I'm about to say, based off what you just said, it feels like Eric Sogard's a good fit for this team. It feels like Jed Jerko's a good fit for this team, but they may not be a good fit for the role they're being asked to, uh, you know, to 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 really fill based off what we expect to see from them at third base.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of guys, including Jerko, obviously. The Brewers are counting on to have bounce back years, which you know you like those signings because a lot of times they come through. Sogard's the opposite, though, right? Don't you feel like he will regress to the mean? Because I just don't see where uh, he's a—he's the kind of player he showed last year. I've heard some people say that he was a huge beneficiary of the juice ball. Whatever. I mean, I don't know if that's the case or not necessarily, but I know he played over his head last year. I feel that way. And t- asking him to be a, a platoon player where he's going to get real significant playing time, ooh, that's a tough one for me. Uh, so I'm just not, again, I'm not seeing it. You look
1: at his career numbers, I don't think he's the guy that we saw in 2018 with the Brewers when he hit 134, right. but I think you're probably also right that you know he hit darn near uh, 300 last year between the two teams with Toronto and Tampa Bay, and he had an OPS between those two teams. At 8.10, he'd never had an OPS before. Then his second highest OPS was with the Brewers in 2017 when he played in 94 games and was at 7.70. So yeah, I yeah. I, I look at Sogard and I say. Yeah, you're right. He's pre- he's not going to be a 300 hitter. He's not going to be a 290 guy. But can you get 260? Can you get 255 out of him? Can you get a, a 700 plus OPS? Like if you're starting to talk about those numbers, yeah, they're a step back from last season, but they're not bad. Again, a good fit for the team. Maybe not a good fit for a guy who's going to play a ton of games at third.
2: Well, I think that's the key, right? I would love it if if I'd love Sogard as a bench guy. Uh, I think that's a great role. I think that's what he is, you know, and I think he can be a quality veteran bench guy uh, in, in the National League and in Major League Baseball. And, and I just don't see him as a either an everyday or even a platoon person. It's just too many at-bats, you know, really to rely on him that long. So, uh, you know, it just leaves something there and you, you wonder what exactly is going to happen. The, the, the thing is that there are, a, you know, like 100 scenarios, it seems like, with this roster mm-hmm. where, you know, pieces could fall in, in many different spots. And, and, you know, things we aren't even anticipating yet could happen here with with players who you don't expect uh, all of a sudden turn in great years. And players, of course, uh, who you're expecting a lot from might, might disappoint. And I think we'll see a lot of that this year with the Brewers.
1: I opened up the podcast talking about this. I kind of have to chuckle because last year – The team was relying so much on Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta, and while maybe they're not relying on them this year, one of the most interesting things to me so far has been finding out that Corbin Burns basically spent the entire offseason in Arizona in the pitching lab trying to reinvent himself and kind of differentiate some pitches that started looking very alike last year. And, and Freddie Peralta comes to camp with a new pitch. Not a new pitch, but a, a reinvigorated pitch that he hadn't thrown in a while and a slider, and all of a sudden if he has another pitch, he profiles maybe more as a starter than a reliever. He was looking like a yeah. reliever last year. These are a couple guys that if – Again, it's it goes back to your point of it's the what-if season. What if Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns are the guys we thought they were going to be 12 months ago? Doesn't that completely change the way this roster looks?
2: 100%, especially Corbin Burns. I mean, Corbin Burns, I mean, we, we all know this, right? As Brewer fan, Brewer people who follow the Brewers, we all know that he is a, a hot prospect, right? He was an untouchable trade piece going back in 2018, 2017 because – He's so highly regarded, and then I've just—I uh, know it's happened. I, you know, I don't know if it's a Rick Keel situation or what. Probably not, because he could still throw strikes. I guess uh, they ended up in the in the bleachers a lot of times, but he could still throw strikes. I just—I I, I can not believe the the collapse of Corbin Burns uh, all the way down to what Double A last year. I mean, he just he couldn't even get it done at Triple A. Maybe you know, okay, offensive uh, Pacific Coast League baseball, okay, but I, I just so it's such an unknown to me i'm i'm very happy to hear that he appears to have a plan saying i'm going to work and focus you know with the slider and build my you know attack around that pitch great and the fact that he spent uh, a lot of time in the brewers lab in arizona fantastic uh, and and you see the potential you know that if this guy can can you know realize his potential we're talking about Brandon Woodruff right we're talking yeah. about a a level 1 starter and the brewers you know, are a playoff team. I mean, I think maybe I don't know. A lot of stuff has to go right. But they're they're right there. Uh and I I you know, a lot but that's a lot to ask for this year, right? I just don't know. And then Peralta, Matt, I was settling in with him as a bullpen guy. I loved him out of the bullpen I down the too. stretch yeah. last year. Hard not to. So when I heard that the Brewers looking at him as a starter, I gotta be honest, I was disappointed because I was thinking he and maybe Suter, along of course with Hayter, you know, you could really form a bullpen that Things have to fall right to to reach 28, 18 status with the bullpen as dominant as it was. But I've been saying I think this Brewers team, if they're really going to be a a, a chance to, to to have a chance to be special this year and and be a division winner and you know make any kind of run in the playoffs, if that's all going to come to fruition, obviously there's a lot of what ifs, but one of them has to be I think that bullpen. You know, being a top five bullpen in the major leagues—that that's going to be what they're going to, you know, the way they do the way they do things. That's going to have to be what pans out for them. And I thought Peralta and Suter could be a big part of that mix.
1: And part of the interesting thing in this is, you know, for a lot of teams, when you talk about a guy who's either going to be a starter or a bullpen guy, generally they only get to the bullpen if they don't succeed as a starter. With the way the Brewers run pitching. To me, there might be some guys in some circumstances where a pitcher is more valuable as a relief pitcher. We say this about Josh Hader all the time. You know, if, it, yeah. if, if when when we had the and this discussion, thankfully is gone. But when we were doing the whole should Hader be starting games discussion two three yeah. years ago, one of my points was always why would you have him start games where uh, such a high percentage of the innings he's going to be throwing are. They, they, they don't matter. They're they're innings of complete yeah. inconsequence where you you guarantee yourself to be able to put him in situations that matter, and with a bullpen that I think is probably the second biggest question mark after third base, you got to find guys that you can trust in those big moments and. Yeah, that's why you look at a Brent Suter. They're going to stretch him out a little bit, but is he more valuable in the bullpen? Freddie Peralta, he comes in as a starter. They're stretch him out, but is he more valuable in the bullpen? Maybe we have the conversation about Corbin Burns. I don't know, but to Mm -hmm. me, there's got to be some some valuable guys in the bullpen where maybe they're more impactful out of the pen than they are as
2: starters. Yeah, I mean, I think the the Brewers, clearly all of baseball is going through this and has been over the last uh, five, ten years, but – the Brewers have been right there, leading the charge as as it relates to you know five innings. Hopefully, out of your starter, and then your bullpen's got to perform well. You're going to need stars in your bullpen to do that. You're going to need guys who who come in our lights out. In 2018, we saw it with the uh, the closing combo of you know Hader, uh, Jefferson, Knebel, which was so good down the stretch, and of course Jefferson faltering in the postseason, but Knebel and Hader were still down it, and Corbin Burns, of course, that year. Uh, so you're going to need these big time performances once your bullpen shakes out in order to win games it's just that's the way they're built they're not going to change that they're not going to go and sign a big money starter to to, you know go seven innings uh, per per start they have a chance to do something like that with woodruff you know who's of course a a farm guy with the brewers and came up through the organization but other than that you, you know it's five innings and then and then turn it over and you can't just you can't just go with mediocre guys for that and so Again, I just go back to Peralta. And I, you know, we'll see what happens, but I, I think he's going to be a bullpen guy this year. I still believe that because he's, he's just so good. He gets two, three days rest. You know, whatever their schedule is, he comes in, and he can throw that fastball and and uh, new pitch, whatever that's going to be. I mean, that to me, I see that as a bullpen piece. But that's that's the fun of this whole thing. You just there's so many moving parts with this team. You just don't know exactly how it's going to pan out, and probably don't know opening day is going to look a lot different than September first, right? Yeah. So. It's going to be different. It's going to be a fun ride, I think. Uh, Again, given that at least enough guys perform to keep them in contention, because this NL Central, I mean, are you thinking 90 wins wins the division? As we sit here today, yeah, I think that. Yeah, It it might be
1: 86-87. Right now, who's the best team in the division?
2: Is it St. Louis? Right. I guess you have to say St. Louis, and I don't I don't buy the Reds because I they, they feel like they reached with a lot of their moves, but they'll definitely be better, you'd think, right? Yeah, so, they're, the,
1: they're the most improved team, but what does that really – I mean, where, look at where you're improving from. Yeah. So
2: Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, I thought they had some pieces last year too, but so, you know, they couldn't put it together. We'll see. I mean, that's you – know, a lot with them might depend on the start. Uh, if they get off to a hot start, maybe they, they have one of those years where they – can ride it, you know, for the whole 162 and be a, a really good team. I I don't know. It's it's <laughs> this. I'm glad that. This isn't the National League West, I'll tell you that much, for the Brewers. <laughs> because, you know, you can you can win 85 and be right there. So, that's nice. <laughs>
1: I, I hate the arbitration process. I just hate the idea of a guy having to walk into a room and listen to his bosses tell him why he's not good. I don't think it's yeah. good for anybody involved. One player goes through the process. One player avoids it. Let's get to the first player that avoids it on Sunday. We found out that uh, Brent Suter had agreed to a, a two-year contract with the team. Uh, it's going to pay him $2.5 million over a couple seasons. He wanted one point two five this season, so he, he basically gets his one point two five for this year, but doesn't get a raise for next year. Now it's gonna it's not gonna play out that way. He'll make more next year than he will this year, but over a two year period that's how that's how it works out. He's he's so valuable in what he does and more than anything else, I'm just glad he doesn't have to walk into that room.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean it's uh you know the thing from a fan's perspective, yes it's tough on the on the player, but also you, you worry, and I guess we'll get to this in a minute, but you worry about a lingering effect when your bosses, you know, make a case against you. It's such a, I I don't know why they haven't figured out a better way. To your point. Uh, You know, they, they exchange numbers. Why can't they figure out a better way to negotiate something? And yeah, you're right. There's, it's just, it's painful. Right. And so with, uh, with Suter, I mean, you know, yes, you, he was so impressive coming back from Tommy John. I mean, there's a piece down the stretch last year. And obviously in that, ridiculous September the Brewers had where you never could have anticipated that you weren't thinking about Brent Suter really being an impact player uh because you just kind of wrote his season off in your mind I think you know last year but he comes back from Tommy John and hopefully Corey Knabel is you know just going to the Brent Suter school of Tommy John recovery and he can he can do the same thing this year but um you know just again that great bullpen piece and I and I do want to keep him in the bullpen I know that you know, the the previous year as well, before he got hurt, he turned in some impressive starts, given his ability and the fact that he only throws 86 miles per hour. Uh, he was really good. But that different look, that different uh, kind of feel coming in from the bullpen, uh, I think can be very effective and certainly was last year. And so I'm excited to see that, glad that they – they signed him, and and glad that we're going to get to see his antics, too, because he's a pretty entertaining guy off the field.
1: One last thing on the arbitration process. Nobody's ever explained. Only if the players really wanted to go away from it, they could collectively bargain what I'm about to say, and maybe they will. But nobody's ever explained to me why there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. It just from a common sense standpoint, shouldn't the panel be able to say – Okay, you're not going to get what you want, but you're also not going to take as low as the team wants to give you. We're going to settle somewhere in the middle. Like the the fact that they have to choose one of the two numbers from just a very common sense standpoint, it has none. I just don't get why they can't. You know, at least that way you're not getting a, a winner and a loser every single time. Where we can say, "Hey, teams are have are five and one against the players or whatever it is this year."
2: Yeah, or and maybe I'm naive on this one, Matt. I don't know, but why couldn't you just so you know you exchange numbers and each team submits their arguments uh to a qualified arbitrator right and yeah then they can they can you know, not they don't have to choose a winner or a loser, but they can choose to to make give it their number and it has to be somewhere between right and and they don't and, and you know you can swear the process to secrecy or however so that the player never finds out how much the team trashed them or vice versa or whatever i don't know but yeah, there, there should be a better way, and and you could collectively bargain it. So obviously, this thing's been around for years, and, and gone through a lot of CBAs. So th- there's not much desire to change it. It just it seems odd. You're right.
1: So for Josh Hader, he loses his, and I was quite honestly, I was surprised. And, and yeah, after it, after it came out, I kind of understood it a little bit more because the process is so for relief pitchers, it, it really benefits. Uh, closers who come up with saves and just the way Hater has been used, he doesn't have the save total that other pitchers have been. But I mean, he's he's done things that other relief pitchers just haven't done. So I was I was first surprised about it, and then I kind of understood why he loses it. He'll make four point one million instead of the six point four million. He openly kind of lamented that the process is broken. Even his manager Craig Counsel, who is an employee of the Brewers, yep. d- seemed almost against it and. Uh, you know, didn't understand how a process could not benefit somebody like a Josh Hader, and this is a. I understand that he was looking for the biggest uptick for a first-year arbitration player ever, but he again, he's he's the reliever of the year in the National League. Like he's he's yeah. done so many things that it seems like he deserves that money.
2: Yeah, two years in a row. I mean, he's been you know fantastic, obviously, and and I think he was you know, didn't did, was fine last year, but you could tell he was disappointed that he was only, you know, making in the whatever it ended up being, five six $600,000 last year uh, after such a stellar 2018 as well. So, you know, he's, he's experienced some disappointment here. And, and I think uh, just at, kind of at first glance, I thought Council's decision to, you know, come out and, and forcefully in favor of his player, you know, is a good one. I mean, yeah, I know he works for the Brewers, but but obviously I think the club understands. He wants to... He wants to get his guy, you know, straight with with him, right? And yeah. get him, get him, show him that he's got his back. Essentially, uh, so that's really smart. I think it was. A, I mean, maybe it's an easy thing to do, but it's also really smart. Glad he did it. And uh, you got to get hater. This is where my fear was, and I, I talked about it when the numbers were exchanged and they were pretty far apart back when that news broke. I think before Christmas, if I'm remembering right. And I, I thought. Uh, there's there's a danger sign like if, if the Brewers go in and win that, then is Josh Hader, does it linger and affect his performance because you know I, I I don't even have a, a name off the top of my head Matt, but I've heard of that happening where where that's the story and yeah down you know, right what's that down Bedensis with the Yankees
1: wasn't it wouldn't he have a bad situation? am I remembering correctly?
2: yeah, that sounds right. Okay. I don't know all the details, but I think that's the thing right yeah. so you you have hard feelings and all that stuff. And here's a guy who you have under club control for several more years, and so you want to you want to make the best of it. Uh, so again, I, you know, if we've seen this before, where you know you can you can have guys be mad at the front office, but as long as they want to play for their manager and their teammates, then you should be in good shape, and of course have something to prove. And I think that's going to be the case with Hater, obviously this year, where one, he's got to not give up as many home runs. Everybody realizes that, and, and two. Uh, now he's got a little, maybe a little chip on his shoulder. And I don't know enough about Josh Hader personally to know if that really affects him. You know, it's not like he's Aaron Rodgers. So I don't know. But, uh, but it, it's, it, it's too bad. I was kind of, you know, you, you do kind of root for players. I honestly do. I was hoping that he'd win his case and feel good. Cause I think if anybody deserves it, he does. I mean, obviously look the home runs aside, look at what he's done. It's, it's been really great. Uh, and, and they wouldn't be where they were clearly without him. Two
1: responses to what you just said. I think, A, if there does need to be a bad guy, you're right. Make make David Stearns the bad guy. Yeah. Make the front office the bad guy. Don't make the manager. So the manager coming out in support of his player is clearly, whether it's completely genuine, which I, I, I tend to believe it is, or whether it's part of some sort of plan uh, just to try to f- – offset any sort of lingering discontent that might be there. Whatever it is, it's good. And then the second thing I would say is he's got arbitration again next year, so he's in a situation once again where he does how he performs this year, there will be a direct correlation to what he makes next year. So as much as he might want to be frustrated or anything, he goes out there and pitches well. That's going to result in him making more money next season.
2: Yeah, and if he has another season – like he's had the last two, I mean, that number should go really high, right? I mean, so you, you can look forward to that for sure. And it's, it's uh, the whole thing. I mean, the whole salary structure, the the no- amount of years you have to wait before you can become a, a free agent in baseball. I mean, obviously that's where some of the uh, conversation is around the skepticism that the, the, the players and, and uh, owners can come together in this next collective bargaining agreement uh, in, in a couple of years here. Uh, there's a big, you know, that's among many issues of, of what people are talking about. They're, they're worried for the baseball season. Uh, so, you know, that it is what it is, but Josh Hader's got to deal with arbitration until then. (laughs) So, and no matter what, right. So this is, this is the system he's under and, you know, I know you don't shed a tear for a guy making 4.1 million. I, I get that and I don't, but I can, I can see where market value wise, he definitely was worth the six, six and a half, whatever it ended up being it's a lot right yeah uh, he's done it yeah
1: so. and, and last thing for you before i get out of here you've been very gracious with your time i i don't know how you could remake the system but the you know if you're a relief pitcher like a Josh Hader especially the way he throws I would have to think he's more prone to a major injury, a Tommy John type surgery, than than somebody else, than a than a position player, than even a maybe even a starting pitcher. Um, and you know, whether you come out out of college or whether you come out of high school, you still have the same years of club control. It just seems like uh, the, the exact same club control for a guy like Josh Hader and the exact same club control for, say, a first baseman, it doesn't seem equal to me because the shelf life on the first one is a little bit shorter, so Josh Hader has less time potentially, not for sure, but potentially, based off the type of pitcher he is, he might have less of a shelf life on the back end after being arbitration eligible than a guy who easily could play, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years. So it it doesn't seem like a completely fair system because it doesn't differentiate how it works based off anybody.
2: Yeah, you worry about that. I mean, how many relievers do you see that can be truly great, you know, for 10, 12 years? I mean, so rare, right? And, and you, you think about the great closers in the last 20-plus years and there are, they're out there and they perform the, the number one case being uh, Mariano Rivera, obviously, but but it's just so, that, that's the skepticism that sets in for me, too, is can Hayter really do this? Uh, and, and I'm looking at, I just checked again to see how long, because I'd forgotten how long he's under club control. 2023. I mean, he won't be a free agent until 2024 uh, at the age of 30, which by the way, again, the, you know, the brewers and some other clubs are moving more toward not wanting to give out contracts. Uh, once a player hits 30 or above, I know they did it with Lorenzo Cain, but, but by and large, you know, that's kind of the idea. And so certainly for a relief pitcher uh, or for a pitcher in general, that that hurts him because a lot of clubs, of course, are going to have that idea that once you're on the, on the wrong side of 30, uh, you're in trouble. So he's got one shot, and he's got to do it for three more years. Yeah, eh, Not fair. I and, mean, it's not. It's
1: and not. what if he has Tommy John surgery the year before free agency? Like, it just completely right. messes. And, and we're not predicting that, hoping for that anything, but it, it happens. And you know, generally, those relief pitchers who – the hard-throwing relief pitchers who have long careers, generally what happens is at some point they have to redefine who they are, and they they kind of have two different careers. They're a hard thrower, and then they find a new way to get guys out.
2: Yeah, well, Haters uh, that he's been working on a changeup, so <laughs> better better keep working on it, you know, and maybe develop. Because you're right. I mean, he, he he's not gonna be able to throw. He you know he's got as much velocity with the deception as. Uh, he, it, what am I trying to say? He doesn't have. He has just enough. Yeah, uh, I feel like if he loses a, a mile or power two off his fastball, he could be in real trouble because it works at ninety six, ninety seven. But I don't know if it'll work uh, lower. So you know, he's gonna have to. Develop some other pitches, and again, that's it's too bad that he can't make his money now. Uh, it really is.
1: Ben, if people are listening to this, this means they love podcasts, so that means they that's should be right. listening to your podcast. Give me a plug for uh, what you've got going on, and where people can find Locked On Brewers.
2: Yeah, well, it's any major podcast platform, just like uh just like always, you know, where you find a lot of these podcasts. But the Locked On uh, Network, of course, has done a, a lot of good things uh for all teams all across the board, including all Wisconsin teams. So you can always tune in for that, but. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, all those podcasts, probably all the same spots you can find uh, this podcast. You can find Lockdown Brewers and we will, uh, you know, pretty much be every day now here as the spring training goes and into the season. And hard to believe it's uh, not too far away. Of course, March 26th, uh, we're going to see the opener against the Cubs. So it, it sneaks up on you fast here. Uh, and it's coming, so we will we'll be there all through uh, all through spring training. The the first workout coming on Tuesday. The the full squad workout. The first spring training game coming on Saturday. So it's it's gonna be a lot of fun to actually have some baseball to talk about.
1: Absolutely. At Locked On Brewers on Twitter, just do a search Locked On Brewers uh, on any major podcast platform, and you can uh, find Ben's podcast. It's uh, great stuff, and encourage people to listen to that as well. Ben, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll do this again uh, after the season gets underway.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Take care.
1: Ben Larson, the host of Locked on Brewers, joining us here on Brewers Extra. It's the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Here's the schedule for uh, the next week or so. Position players report to uh, camp on Monday the 17th. Pretty good chance you are listening to the podcast on Monday the 17th if you are a first-day listener after it uh, comes out. First full squad workout on Tuesday, and the first spring training game is going to be coming up on Saturday as uh, they are going to match up against the Rangers, then they'll play the Padres coming up on Sunday. The spring training broadcast schedule is out. You can find it at WTMJ.com. Many of the games will be on WTMJ. Some of the games will be on Sister Station, 94.5 ESPN. Both the opening weekend games will be on Saturday, February 22nd. The broadcast on WTMJ at 155. That's against the Rangers. Sunday, February 23rd against the Padres. Another 155 broadcast. And we look forward to once again bringing you Brewers baseball on WTMJ. That is it for this edition of Brewers X Trains, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Once again, my thanks to uh, my featured guest this week, a blocked on Brewers podcast host, Ben Larson. I uh, really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did as well. And we will talk to you again very soon with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ
0: Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.